Thank you for tuning in. Recruiting and retention has been cited time and time again and in survey after survey as the number one issue facing the AEC industry, particularly over the past several years. How can we be more effective and what are top recruiters and organizations doing today? That's the topic of today's podcast with Lindsay Purcell, Director of Human Resources at Aspect Consulting. Lindsay has been on all sides of recruiting and she speaks around the country teaching others how they can be more successful. In this episode, we talk about Lindsay's path from agency to AEC recruiting and HR, how recruiting has changed over the past decade, the differences between the various types of recruiters, and the role of sourcing. We talk about the benefits of building and recruiting through a pipeline and how it can also produce advocates, the role of social media, and why recruiters need to be more aligned with marketing. We also talk about why a culture ad is better than a culture fit and why being different is the new better. Lindsay's approach is also representative of what I call the new face of HR, people forward professionals who operate with a greater understanding and focus on business strategy and leadership. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Lindsay Purcell, Director of Human Resources at Aspect Consulting, and we'll be talking about how HR and recruiting continues to evolve and what's needed for success today. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Well, great. Glad to have you here. Um, and so listeners know me, we met earlier this year at a national PSMJ recruiting and retention conference and uh, where we were both speakers. And I'm excited that we'll both be speaking at the Orlando PeopleMax conference um, early next year. And so that's, that's going to be neat. And you're speaking about recruiting and retention and um, specifically about some of the topics we'll be talking about today, which is a recruiting pipeline and some of how HR's adapted over the years. But before we begin, can you share a little bit about yourself and what got you to where you are today career-wise? Yeah, so I started um, on the staffing agency side a number of years ago, um, and that then evolved into working for um, a Seattle-based architecture firm, and now where I'm at um, with an environmental and, environmental and geotechnical engineering firm. Um, but my focus was always on the recruiting side of the work, and it's just evolved from there. So how, how did you transition from the agency space into the sort of the, the AEC architecture engineering construction space? Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story. Um, the agency space is really intense, um, and I've been doing it for a long time, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, but I was ready for a little bit of a different pace. Um, and was looking at going back to school for interior design and came across this architecture firm that was 
um, hiring for an in-house recruiter. And so that seemed to be the best of both worlds without having to um, make a total career change. I was able to be surrounded by people that were incredibly inspiring to me and doing work that I, I truly valued, um, but I could also actually make an impact in the work that they did with my expertise. Um, so that's how I landed there. Um, and then through that role, um, met individuals from the engineering side, obviously those are linked and um, made a transition over to Aspect at that point. Right, so when you started off um, earlier, in in the architect for the architecture firm but in the space in general how what was recruiting like then and how has it changed or do you think it has changed over the last decade plus i think it's changed a lot um as i was making the change on the agency side we were starting to get into um something and it's not new but it was it was newer to us at the time um called sourcing and I would explain that in, as being different from recruiting. Recruiting at its core is truly more of like a post and pray process where you write an ad, you post it, and you pray that the person you're looking to hire applies and that you can interview them and hire them. Um, sourcing is going out and finding people, and it's a combination of building relationships and just hunting up lists of people that do what you want. Um, we did things like mapping orga organizations. So essentially, um, you build an organization's org chart kind of behind the scenes so that if you're looking to fill a role in the same industry, you can know who to go to. Um, so in the agency side, we were just starting to get really involved in that. So when I moved into the architecture space, that was something they had never heard of or thought about. Um, but it was really the solution to their, their recruiting challenges in that um, there was not enough architects to go around Seattle. The skill sets um, were very specialized and in high demand and they needed a way to access, access those people and figure out who they were. So this, is, so this is pretty high end. So the agencies who are hired and um, they're going through and they're sort of figuring out the hierarchies behind the scenes. I mean, what, what are they, mm -hmm. What kind of tools were they using to develop the sourcing? I mean, is it just kind of tapping a network or was there something else? Yeah, part? I mean, there's more, there's much more sophisticated ways with technology to do it now, which is really exciting. Um, but the way we did it was through cold calling, um, through networking, through things, just um, even interviewing people and talking to them about who their references are and what those people did at the company, um, and you start you start to build org charts and map different organizations. So they so there's always the so there's the benefit of you know some organizations are using a lot more outside recruiters and others are hiring more internal corporate recruiters and and there always seems to be this debate you know internal versus out, out outside recruiters. Um, do you have, in, which one's better, or do you do both? I mean, any thoughts on, you know, where the industry is today on inside and outside recruiters and, and kind of what's the difference? I think outside recruiters sometimes get a bad rap, um, a bad experience with one. If a company has a bad experience with an outside recruiter, um, 
it paints the picture that they're all that way. And, and sometimes I feel like it's kind of that used car salesman reputation that recruiting gets. Uh, but there's actually three different types of outside recruitment. There's RPO, which is recruitment process outplacement. Um, that's basically where you hire typically a large national firm um, and they act more like an in-house recruiter. They only work on your company's or a specific company's roles that has a lot of recruiting to do, but they're not hired or they're not employees of that organization. Um, it's becoming really popular in larger companies to do that. Um, there's contingent um, recruiting and that means that you hire an agency and you only pay them when they produce for you. Um, so you, the fee is due at offer and acceptance typically. And then there's a retained search um, and that is usually where you pay um, something around a third up front to get the agency to start working for you, another third when they present candidates, and then the final third at offer and acceptance. Um, and depending on what an organization needs, any of those can be good. Um, and sometimes in-house recruiters need the support. Um, I would still say that most in-house recruiters go the route of traditional recruiting and they and they don't have a lot of time to do more in-depth sourcing because of the volume of positions they they have open so they're going to have a high volume of positions they're not going to have any time to do anything other than screen resumes do phone interviews and coordinate in-person interviews and follow-up i mean if you're running 30 30 openings plus at a time there, there's no time to source. Um, and so that's where if in-house recruiters are really that restrained with, or leveraged with their time, that, that can be a really good time to reach out to an agency for positions that are hard to fill. Okay, I do want to talk about that. So we, if there's a firm or an HR team or recruiting team that is kind of doing the traditional, I want to define what that is. But before we do that, you, I'm familiar with the contingency and the retainer um, recruiters, but the, this RPO again, I mean, how could you just further, what, what is that? And you're saying larger firms might be doing it today, but is that something pretty new? Um, it's, it's not new. I think it ebbs and flows with trends. It's, it's more popular right now. Um, re the recruiting industry, even in-house recruiters can be pretty high turnover. If you have a lot of positions open, it's great. You need you need full-time people to do that. But once those roles are filled or the market changes a little, all of a sudden you don't need those individuals anymore. And so rather than hiring and laying off um, and having high turnover in a role, you do that through this, this RPO service that the agencies provide. Um, and you basically have the recruiting team you need when you need them. Um, but when you don't, they just go work for another company. It's, it's the agency's responsibility to, to manage that. So it's a little bit of staff management on the side of those organizations. I mean, from the, and I know the, the, the pipelines that you design or have experience with really kind of focused on the employee or the, the, um, the experience of the person you're recruiting, you're sort of working backwards and trying to entice them in. I mean, do you see a difference of, 
employees or prospects working with um, an external recruiter, a contingent recruiter, or I guess they, they wouldn't really know. Um, but I guess it's someone who doesn't work for the organization versus works for the organization. Do you get a sense of how the prospect feels either way? Um, I think that there can be a benefit to it. If the recruiter is really good, um, they have the ability to fork. One, they have the ability to have conversations with candidates that um, candidate to hiring company just don't work. Um, like true heart-to-heart -heart conversations about reasons for making changes and compensation and um, life that you just don't have while you're in an interview process. An interview process is completely unnatural. Um, and an agency has the ability to, because they're not typically interviewing somebody for a specific role, they have the ability to dive into those things and find out what's really important to someone um, and match, match those up with organizations and roles, which means um, when I was in the agency side, one of the things I really loved was when it came down to negotiating salary. Um, there were organizations that I worked with that were super negotiable and we put an offer out and it was no big deal if there was a counter offer and we could work through that. Um, I also had companies that I worked with that didn't negotiate. So a candidate doesn't know that going into these situations. And I always appreciated being able to tell a candidate, like, here's your offer. It is what it is. If you're not happy with it, I wouldn't recommend that you go back. They'll rescind it. And I know this just from my experience working with them. That, so just, converse, that conversation won't happen without a, a, an agency recruiter in the middle. Right. So there's a, there's a sort of a, possibly a sense of comfort that there's an, an, advo there's an advocate for me. Um, yeah. and, and this this is my sort of coach through that process yeah. versus if somebody works for the organization they're sort of representing it's just it might be like a like a pre-boarding in a way but the the, the interview side of pre-boarding that you're just really getting yeah. the feelers out there so may, maybe you're gonna be less guarded um, or more guarded about what you say knowing that it's a it's a company recruiter yes. um, but um, that being said go, go ahead sorry I was going to say the recruiter for an agency has the same advocacy with the company, right? So they also have the ability to go back to a company and say, look, uh, if it's compensation, your compensation range is off. We interviewed, you know, 30 people and this person's asking for this. This is who you want and need. You need to pay this or you can't fill the position. They're able to have really honest conversations at the end of the day, their compensation depends on a quality hire happening. So filling a warm body just ruins their reputation as a recruiter um, with both the candidate and the company. <laughs> so it's in the recruiter's best interest to make sure both parties are completely happy. Right. And so having that, I mean, having the competence of a recruiter, but then having the relationship with the firm that you're working with makes a huge difference yeah. there. So switching for, I mean, whether it is um, 
someone who quasi works for the company for, a, you know, until these 20 positions are filled, or if it's a corporate recruiter or someone in HR. I mean, you mentioned the traditional techniques versus maybe more um, the newer types of sourcing. I mean, are the traditional techniques, uh, is, it, is it the post and pray? I mean, what, what, what sort, of, it sort of set a baseline for traditionally, this is how in the AEC industry we've recruited. And then maybe if you could share about, well, this is what's, if people do have more time or develop a strategy, these are some of the techniques that's being used today. Yeah, the traditional is really posting an ad, waiting for candidates to apply and going through that process. Um, and I would even say like, in some way, the traditional is, is the company treating the candidate like they have all the power, right? So maybe not good follow-up, maybe overly tough, um, tricky interview processes. I mean, we hear about that from some, some other companies out there will, um, you know, put people through a gauntlet of like a 10 hour full day interview, or I had a recruiter I worked with once who, um, love to take candidates out to dinner and then pay the, the waiter extra to mess up their order to see how they would handle that experience. Um, and, and those things just add to the, the unnatural, unhuman nature of recruiting. And I think that's antiquated. Um, I, think, I think the more progressive way to look at it is to realize we're all humans. I want to treat people the way I would want to be treated in a situation. And, and that means being honest. Um, that means building relationships. And so that goes to, to my philosophy on building pipelines which starts um, long, long ahead and isn't, isn't about an open position. It's really just about meeting people, understanding um, their career goals, their passions, things they'd be interested in, um, things they like about their current company. Um, I ask questions like, you know, if you were to make a change, what are the things about your current company that you would, you would have to see at the next company you land at? Um, and the things that they want to be different. And sometimes, you know, in the architect, architecture world, sometimes that's project-based. Um, I've been doing a lot of multifamily housing work and I want to get into, I want to do some hospitality projects. Um, it, it's diving into those questions and, and not with the intent that you're going to convince them to jump ship and take a different job, but truly with the intent to just learn about them and, and get to know what people are interested in. And then you have a connection if that thing pops up and you can go, oh, we have this architect role and we're looking for somebody who wants to be in hospitality and, and you go back through your list of contacts, right? And this turns into a pipeline that you've built over time. And you can say, oh, here are these people. Um, versus if you post a position for an architect with experience in hospitality, every single person you interview is going to tell you that they're passionate about hospitality, right? Because they're there to do that. Versus, you know, maybe you talk to somebody and they're really more interested in um, the aging living community. But if they apply for that position, they're going to tell you that's what 
And it, it sounds like the, the real distinction is it's, it's building a network for the future in a way. I mean, it's building, building the like, know, and trust of a series of candidates that this organization or this recruiter knows um, versus we have a job, let's try to fill it today. And, right. and that, that, that's the mindset distinction. And it probably changes a bunch of behaviors, but I can see where a lot of firms in general, uh, leaders in general, uh, HR departments in general are, are very busy, reactionary. And they're probably, I mean, you tell me, I mean, is it like we're, we're overwhelmed and we're catching up with yesterday's needs. And so we're really focused on positions, a need, not even investing in this pipeline. I mean, is that the position you see a lot of HR departments and recruiters, they find themselves in if they're working for the, the organization? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's pretty standard. Um, and it, it's understandable as to why that happens. Um, and what I like to teach people is that there's some really easy things to do that aren't a huge lift to make, to make the change. Um, so just things like if you're at a networking event and you're meeting people, come up with two or three questions that you're going to teach your employees to ask the people that they're meeting and then document that, right? Write, write their names down, write where you met them at, write who met them, and write their answers to these questions. Um, and maybe you keep it in an Excel spreadsheet. Maybe you just keep handwritten files. Um, but that starts to build this information that when something does come open, you can pull out these files and start, start remembering all these, these people that you've met. Right. Well, I mean, I guess the first item that pops in my head is that means that the recruiter, the HR professional needs to be at events and they need to be out meeting people. I mean, where are, um, and then, you know, sort of ask those questions and then put them into some sort of a database, whether it be the employee version of a CRM or, or whatever it is to be able to sort of document that network. But where do you, where do you see HR going to meet folks? Is it like industry conferences where they meet people after employees speak somewhere or is it shows and, and trade events? I mean, how, how have you seen sort of recruiters getting out there to be able to have conversations? I like industry events. Um, I, like, I like to go to the things that my employees are going to. Um, I think that that's helpful, but I think even more helpful than me going is teaching our employees a few of these tools and having them bring that information back to HR and HR keep it and organize it. Okay, um, so, and, right? and that, So then okay. you have, you're building a deeper pipeline faster. Um, and, you know, HR can do some other things, maybe a little bit more targeted, um, whether that's reach, like if somebody sees a really good speaker, that could be a great opportunity. Maybe they didn't get to meet him in the conference, but they went, wow, this person was really dynamic. Um, it could be great to reach out to them and say, hey, I heard this great feedback. I'd love to grab, buy you a cup of coffee and hear about this great speech that I missed. Would you have 20 minutes to spend with me? Um, I've never had anybody say no to a conversation like that, not within our industry. Um, 
but I think that it has to be a certain amount of sincerity that you're not meeting with them just to recruit them, right? It's not a sales pitch. Like that's, it's not the time and place for that. And the relationship has to be there first. So how, so, and I see the value of, of employees being armed with the, listen, as an organization, we need to build this pipeline, not just for today, but for our needs tomorrow. And so, you know, X number of project managers and principals who are out investing in these conferences and going to speak, here's what we want you to do. I mean, have you, is that sort of a little bit more of a formal training with the, and we need your documentation with this? I mean, to sort of get the pipeline going. I mean, I, I could see in some, I love that idea, but then a little bit of resistance on implementation. Can, can you share a little bit about that, getting the idea to be understood, but then maybe getting the implementation to recur? Yeah, I think you could formalize it and do a training. Um, I think you could also start small and maybe there's an event you know somebody's going to and you can't go. And so you have a 15 minute conversation with them and say, hey, you know, we're working. We want to build this pipeline for the future. It's important. You're going to meet some great people. Um, here's some questions I like to ask. Do you think you could aim to say meet three people and ask as many of these questions as possible? And again, we're talking two or three questions, but um, and I think people will give you a really good response and be really open to it. It's icebreaker questions for them. And especially if they're newer to networking, they might be a little relieved, right? So you're actually providing some professional training in the moment on how to network. Um, you're setting a goal for them for what to get out of it, which again, just makes networking a little bit easier. And then I don't ask them to document anything. I ask them to meet with me afterwards. And so I'll reach out to them a day or two later, say, hey, do you have a half hour? I'd love to hear about your conference. And then I'm gonna ask them about the people they met, they got business cards, I'm gonna write the information down, I'm gonna take notes, I'm, I'm gonna lead and manage that process. Um, the lift, for, for technical and consulting staff, I think has to be low or they won't do it. Um, but if it's as easy as like, here, ask a couple questions and get this information. Um, and it's not like if they only ask one of the questions, they're in trouble. It's like, okay, that's awesome. We'll take what we get, the starting point. Right. And that's your, your, as far as the advocate for the networking, knowing the benefit that you could fill position with the network in place. I mean, the benefit is you could immediately fill a position because you could make a couple of calls or have your database where, you know, Joey or Sarah, you know, can you make a call? Because I remember you had met somebody at this. Yeah. Can you reach out to them to say, we have actually this position that might be good for them. So you as you or the HR person, you sort of owning and leading that system. So it, it's sort of a way, it's, it's leadership through the HR department in a way of knowing the long-term benefit of having a network versus getting out of the urgent firefighting mode of, of position. So I mean, that is a different mindset to sort of make it happen and knowing that a, a hurdle is heavy lifts and, one, lifts and one more thing on employees who are going out to conferences and speaking and making it easy. So that, that, right. that is sort of transitioning to sort of elevating the role of HR in recruiting and getting people to say, maybe see even slowly the benefit of building a network slowly. 
Yeah. Um, versus, I guess, if you, 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 a firm could hire somebody and say, your job is to, is to build the network full time. Um, and I've would, done both. That would be an investment. So yeah. okay, talk, talk through that, how you've- So with the architecture firm, that's what they needed. Um, I, they didn't even know they needed that, but they just knew that they needed an in-house recruiter to fill the roles that they needed to fill quickly. And that was really the only way to do it. Um, and so I spent a year building, building a pipeline for them. And I did it a couple of different ways. The one thing I did is every single person that interviewed or that applied for an architect job, I interviewed every single one, whether they were qualified or not. I had this open, I just want to get to know you conversation. Um, so, so that I could start identify people that maybe weren't right for the role we were hiring for could be right for other things in the future um, and then I would look up lists of like conference attendees and I'd look for who was speaking and who was writing articles and I would try to reach out to one or two of those people a week to meet in person um, again not a big lift right it's easy to have a person it's easy to have coffee with one person a week not hard um, and so I built that and then what I would find is these roles would open up and we have these needs and I'd go back to this group of people that I'd started talking to that one had a really good candidate experience or I had coffee with that they already felt slightly engaged um, and not every time did those people end up being people that we hired um, but it was really interesting. A few of those people became some of my biggest advocates in the amount of time they had landed at other firms, um, but we had a good relationship, at least at a pretty high level. And I would say like, oh, this is kind of right up your alley, but I know you just landed at this new firm and I know they're a really good firm and you're probably not looking to make a change. And they would say, you know, I'm not looking to make a change, but I have the perfect person for you. Um, and they would refer people right to a different organization than their own. And I promise you their own organization probably had those same hiring needs and they would refer them to me because we have the relationship. And I think part of that was they knew that the person would be treated well and be treated with respect. Um, they wouldn't apply and end up you know, not hearing from anybody or have an interview and never get followed up with, like those little human details um, matter. And so we, would, we ended up with a number of hires that way. Um, but then we also had this pipeline of people. At one point we had a principal who had been with the firm for over 20 years leave to make a change um, and I had again spent a year building this pipeline and I pulled out this list of probably 10 different principal level individuals that I'd met with um, within an hour of the um, current employee giving notice I was at the hiring manager's desk with five resumes and five pages of notes from meeting with these people um, we narrowed it down to three booked all three within the next 72 hours for interviews and hired one within days of receiving notice. So that person that we hired ended up starting before um, the person leaving had left. 
Right. And that and that's a major win. I mean, in a losing situation of a, a senior person leaving, um, yeah. that's a win in that the losses were cut short time-wise, probably impact on clients, impact on staff, that you were the organization was immediately able to replace them is a huge value. Um, it, no, no, you know, assuming that there's equal qualities there, there's, there's, there's limited dis disruption that moves in with that. And so, I, so in that situation, you're tasked with developing that as the HR, but I can also see in large organizations, it could be a combination of HRs taking some and other specific people are being followed up by other managers or principals in the firm. Um, and so, but that's something that firms can do now. They could hire an additional person into HR. I mean, if they have dozens of openings in different offices, I mean, that seems like there's someone you could hire today to start building that pipeline. Um, but in addition to the conferences and um, making calls and you know interviewing people who come in, what what is the role of LinkedIn and some of the other like social media networks? on recruiting today. I mean, what, what, what is that about? I mean, you know, everyone wants to be on LinkedIn. That seems to be the, the platform of choice, but then I know people are recruiting pretty heavily on Instagram and Facebook too. So it's not the yeah. only one, but LinkedIn seems to be the big one. Any thoughts on how that's being used today and how it's being used effectively? <laughs> yeah. Um, LinkedIn is a, an important resource. I think some companies um, rely too heavily on LinkedIn and there's only something like 40% of the workforce that's actually on LinkedIn. So if that's your only resource, um, you're, you're missing a lot of a lot of candidates. And so, um, yeah, Facebook groups can be another good one. Um, Twitter, there's ways that you can get contact info out of Twitter if you know a little bit of coding. Um, you can go into the back end and pull private email addresses out. Um, there's so many different ways you can, you can find people. It's just getting creative. And one way to start is to talk to your current staff about um, if they're new hires, okay, how did you find out about us and where else were you looking for jobs? Where were they looking at postings? Make sure you're in those places. Um, what groups are they involved in and why, and start targeting those. I mean, once you dive into it, the options are endless and you just have to start somewhere. So it's that's just that's a step the, forward. Right. So that's the reach out. So you can use these tools to reach out. I mean, how, other than once the original contact happens, like if there's a contact and you reach out to someone on LinkedIn, I mean, what, what, what do you, what might have to be the conditions for a person to reach out? I mean, I would think that they're going to sort of attack. Okay. Lindsay reaches out to me. She works for this firm. There's going to be some sleuthing on who is Lindsay, who's this person mm -hmm. and what does the firm represent, which means you're probably have to confidently reach out and have a game. You need to have it. If you're playing in the digital footprint, you know, following their digital footprint to check them out. If they're part of that 40% who's active on say LinkedIn, um, you probably have to have an equally good or better footprint to be able to, you know, when you engage them. So how does having a social media presence, you know, um, position you 
to do that. Because if, if a firm doesn't have a social media presence or a recruiter doesn't, whether internal or external, I would think that puts them at a disadvantage because I would think they're going to want to sleuth you out before they respond. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I tend to really agree with that. Um, I think depending on the person, you maybe have some grace. If you're dealing with a more senior individual, uh, especially in the AE industry, they might have less of a presence or might care less about um, how the website looks or what that is versus someone coming right out of school. They probably really care. Um, so there's some generational differences that that may make it a little bit less important depending on, on the person that you're reaching out to. But in general, I think, I think it is important um, and it's certainly not going to hurt. I feel like most companies develop their websites and even their social media pages initially with um, clients in mind, but at least in, in the environmental engineering world, I don't think that our LinkedIn page or our Facebook page or our Instagram account are driving clients to do business with us. Um, so that may have been the intent when they were started, but the reality is it's a way for us to paint a picture of our culture and what it's like to work here. And that that's important for candidates and that's important for them to be able to see before they engage with us. So that's, that sounds like a shift that might have happened over time in that the, the, the social media platforms are focused. I mean, obviously clients look at that too, because they'll probably want to buy in and, and, you know, hire a firm that has a lot of good stuff happening, but you're, you're thinking it might be the, the prime vehicle for that might be attract clients or excuse me, attract employees. Attract employees. And I actually think that same shift is a really important one. For websites. Um, I think websites as a whole should be geared towards um, showing what it's like to work in a company and what the culture is. You still have to talk about the type of projects you do and why they're successful and the type of problems that you solve, um, but both candidates and clients care about that, right? Um, it's not just one or the other, and I think that's one of the other things I, I try to recommend that companies do is recruiting. I mean, I think in, in a perfect world, rec actual recruiters probably wouldn't report to HR. They would report to marketing um, because it really is a function of marketing. And you can, your, your marketing, your recruiting process, the more it mirrors your marketing philosophies, the more successful it will be. And so talking with your um, business developers on how they go out and develop business and get clients and go through the proposal process and finding nuggets in there that you can link to your recruiting process, it, it goes full circle for me. That if those two, if there's a disconnect there, you're painting one picture of expectations for individuals coming in and then they get in and and they're going to be expected to give a different experience to clients than what they received as, as a candidate. Um, so it's, it's out, well, there's, there's a couple things there. It sounds like, you know, a lot of firms have a pretty well-defined client recruitment and retention system. 
and you're saying in one way sort of mirror that how you find and attract um, and then retain your clients use the similar process to find attract and recruit and retain your your talent so there's there's a process system of of mining and building relationships and all that there um, but ex explain what you, you were talking about then like what what is the disconnect as it relates to employees today i mean what 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 is not happening like even if the system is in place what what, what can firms do better at well so i think about the candidate experience um in response to your question and how how companies you know so you interview some candidates and um and then you just never get back to them, right? And you end up hiring somebody and you never tell the people that you didn't hire that you moved on, or you never tell the people that you didn't even interview that the position's been closed. Um, and so it's part of the reason recruiters get such, recruiters and HR get such a bad, have a bad image is because this lack of follow, follow through, we would never treat a client that way. Right. If you have a client that you want to bring on board um, or that you're trying to gain, whether you win them or not, you're going to treat them really, really well. Well, I like to think that we should treat all of our candidates that well. And, and there's it's not completely feasible all the time, um, but we interviewed for a marketing position a couple years ago and our needs were a little unclear and I had these incredible candidates apply. Um, and we interviewed them and they blew me out of the water, but at the end of the day, they weren't, any of them weren't what we were really looking for. Uh, but these were industry professionals. I sent each and every one of them, right after the interview finished, I went back to my desk and did handwritten thank you cards to them. Um, because I want them to think really highly of aspect. Um, I want I wanted them to have a good ex experience. I wanted them to know that they were special and deserve to be valued wherever they landed, knowing we probably weren't going to offer any of them a position. That was on us <laughs> and, and our planning and our situation internally and was no reflection of them. I can see most companies um, doing those interviews, meeting great people, and then, you know, if they're lucky, sending them an email saying, oh, we've gone another direction, thanks anyway. Um, so it leaves a different taste in your mouth. You wouldn't do that to a client. Why would you, why would you do that to a candidate? So that's a little bit on the, 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 the pipeline mindset that it's just not a fit today, but I want to get to know this person either because maybe one day they're a fit for me or a friend of theirs or another colleague right. might be a fit when I reach out. So that, that's a different mindset. I want to talk, go back to what you had said as far as HR recruiters really working for marketing versus for HR. And I guess it, on one sense, I see it's about communication and, and brand and culture are this different sides of the same coin. I mean, your, your brand is, is your internal culture and your, your, uh, your brand is your external culture, where, whereas your culture is your internal brand. I mean, it's, so, right. so it'll work together. And so I can see where there's some synergy, but is, is there also just sort of a, a, a mindset shift in HR that needs to happen to think more as an, from an external perspective versus an internal compliance perspective? 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. There is um, HR often gets focused on compliance and some of that's just the nature of what's expected of them. Um, but very little of what I do, whether I'm functioning in a, if I'm functioning in a true HR role with just ad hoc recruiting as it comes up, very little of my day is based on compliance. Um, sure, there's a portion of it, and my knowledge of that influences what I say and and what I recommend. Um, but it's not the core of why we do things, and I think I think that can be a downfall of HR and why why some people get frustrated with HR is they just hear, oh, we can't do that because it's illegal. That's against the law. Don't do that. Or, but that's not really helpful. Um, and so I think that's the shift that can happen in HR is understanding the business and, and yes, there's things that are illegal, but like anything else, there's tons of gray area. And if you talk to any HR person long enough, you find that the answer to every question is it depends. Um, I always laugh and that's always my first response, but it's really true. And so if that is true, then that, need, that means we need to make decisions and we need to present decisions ultimately based on what's right, what makes sense for the organization and the culture um, and the beliefs of the organization, and then the level of risk. Well, I guess the mindset could be, you know, it, it depends, you know, tell me more so I can tell you what doesn't work or tell me more how we can make that happen. I mean, yeah. it seems like a very different mindset shift to, to the, well, it depends. It depends how quickly can I shut this thing down or how quickly can we just make sure that we're, you know, as minimizing the risk as possible uh, and that everyone's aware uh, and that we're just going to be able to make this thing happen. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it depends. Um, here's the different risk levels that you would be taking. Um, so as, as HR, I'm here to advise. I'm not here to tell people what to do. I'm here to make re recommendations and hopefully I'm persuasive enough to get them to, to choose the right recommendation. Um, but they need to feel in control of that. Right. And in, in our, in our discussions, I mean, I've always, you know, from the first time we met, I mean, you kind of like the new face of HR. I mean, really look at things from a business perspective and a, and a leadership strategy perspective. Like, what are the problems we're trying to solve? And then how can I, from an HR recruiter perspective, help make that happen? And so that, that's a little bit of a, a mindset shift anyway. And I mean, does that come, you think, from your role in an agency or your role kind of in business before? Or do you see that as just a trend that you've had to learn because HR is evolving into more of a business focus? I think it really came from my agency side. Um, and, and, and it's because that the agency is such a heavy sales organization. I mean, essentially, the firm I came from was a contingency-based firm, which meant we only got paid, I only got paid, my recruiters got paid uh, when we closed the deal. Um, and so your whole day is spent trying to figure out how do I keep, how do I keep this from going south, right? What's going to go wrong that I can get in front of now? Um, and how do I make sure 
that this is successful. Um, and I feel like when I work with our senior leadership here, that's what they're trying to figure out. They have teams of people who are relying on them to bring in business to pay salaries and overhead costs. And um, it's actually a lot of pressure. And I, I don't know that everybody recognizes it until they're in that role. Um, but that's, their, that's what they're thinking about is, how do I get this done? How do I say yes to this client so I win this $1 million contract? Um, and so I need to be in support of that, not, not against that. Um, and it doesn't mean we say yes to everything, but it means that we, we look at it objectively and, and try to find a way to make it possible while being compliant, while fitting in the law, and while fitting our culture and, and the values that are important to our organization. All right. I, I do want to speak about culture and values, but just to, to talk about this, um, Piece. I mean, so you you have that business mindset from your background, and, and it, it's made you more effective today in the HR realm. If if realm, if if somebody is in HR, or there's a leader with an HR team that has been brought up in HR, and I'm not judging one way or another, but but doesn't have the business sense, and but but wants to and wants to sort of add that component. I mean, what 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 are some of the? Well, do you see an evolution to that, and how would a leadership team help infuse that mindset? Or if I'm an HR professional, how do I get it? Yeah, I think as an HR professional that doesn't have that, um, you have to build relationships with the people doing those things. You have to convince them to mentor you. You have to show interest in understanding where they're coming from. And so, you know, I would be working hard to really understand accounting and the problems accounting faces and how they look at things at a high level and how they get in the weeds. Uh, and I think I would wanna do the same thing with business development um, and all, all at the same time while you're still focusing on, on the people of the organization, right? And trying to understand those. So it's not something that happens overnight, but I think if you start asking those questions and showing interest beyond compliant side of HR, people will be really excited to talk about what they're passionate about, and you'll be able to learn from them. Um, and through that process, you'll build trust and respect because they'll know that you have heard them, and hopefully your responses and how you handle situations is start, starts to be influenced by that knowledge. Right, and it, one of—I mean, I thought you. When one of our conversations in the past, you—it was a—it was a neat analogy and like a mindset shift for me to think about it. That you know, traditionally, everybody in organization—not everybody—it's extreme, but a lot of people has thought of HR in that compliance-only mode. And you said, well, paraphrasing, so correct me if I'm wrong, but basically, you know, we don't think of a CFO as the tax compliance IRS person because we've elevated the role of CFO. There's so much more to the, uh, for the financial accounting, uh, the project management accounting, like all, there's so many, so much more that goes into that CFO role in this, in the team of the CFO that the very last, one of the last things we think about is, oh yeah, we do in, you know, compliance with the IRS versus, you know, we've got to be 
thinking about HR a little differently. There's so much on the people side of the business that goes into strategy and leadership and, you know, what we do for our clients, we have to do for our talent. And, and so we, we, we've got to get to a place where we're thinking of human resources as so much more than the compliance side. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it. And I, I'm probably a broken record to a lot of people that know me well, but I'm always using that analogy of like, you know, nobody thinks of our CFO as as the tax person. Um, you know, the CFO is figuring out how to make sure our company stays profitable, how to make sure cash flow is there. Um, but they're also forecasting and predicting needs and changes. And there's no reason that HR shouldn't be doing those same things. Um, and whether that's planning for future growth and building pipelines and coming up with solutions on how to fit, you know, five, 10 minutes a day of those activities in, um, or working with people and making recommendations and providing solutions that better the organization for the sake of being profitable, but also for the sake of people. And you really can do both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Right. What, one of the other things that we spoke about in the past, like as we're, we're getting ready to close here, is um, we talked about hiring and, and how important culture is. So I'd like for you to share on how important culture is. But then also you said something that really stood out to me saying, well, we don't hire for culture fits. We hire for culture ads. And can you share yeah. a little bit about how important culture is and then what you mean by, you know, look for culture additions, not just fits? Yeah. So um, I like to remind at least our leadership every time because we have a variety of different hiring teams. So I, I get to train lots of people over and over again. Um, and culture fit is the word that I think just industry wide we use a lot. And what I like to remind people of is every time we hire somebody, our culture changes. Every time somebody leaves, our culture changes. Um, and so if that's our mindset, then when we're hiring, we're not looking for more clones of us. We don't need another Lindsay. Um, you know, if you look through our people page on the website, we don't need to clone anybody. Uh, we have really incredible people. What we need is people that are also incredible that add to who we are. Um, we're going to hire somebody, let's make sure they're a positive influence on our culture going forward and not a negative influence. Um, and that really comes down to, uh, for me, making sure values align. Um, when you think of culture fit, I think, it, for me, that means more of just hiring who we are. Um, and in the engineering world, that's not a super diverse group of people, right? <laughs> um, if they're a culture fit, we're going to hire more people that look and sound and behave just like we already do. Um, but if they're culture additions, they might be different than that. They're probably going to be different than that. Um, so, so just by thinking in that mode, I mean, you're already thinking you can take in some equity, diversity, and inclusive thinking, like in the HR, like how are we going to add, in the recruiting process, how are we going to add? in that sense, because if we're just, you're, you're right. I mean, that the whole um, affinity bias, if we're looking for people who are just like us, well, we might find people who are just like us in, in mindset too. I mean, it's not, you know, just with, with any other 
attribute, but um, it, it, that's an it's interesting way to kind of look at, you know, how do we add some of the other benefits that will make us a better firm, better culture, better able to produce projects for our clients yeah. in that sense. I mean, but one of the, you know, looking for adding to culture, I mean, there's a presupposition that we know what our culture is. I mean, how, how, how do you think firms go about understanding truly what their culture is to be able to add to it? That's a tricky one. Um, I like to define culture, and not everybody agrees with me on this, and that's okay. But I like to define culture is the way we actually get our work done. Um, truly at the core, it's, for me, that that's what it is. And so it, it comes out in different ways. Um, you know, an aspect we, we like we like to empower our employees to get together and and have fun and bond. And so we do that a number of different ways. But for me, how I would describe that in our culture is it's really about relationship building. We know how valuable relationships are. Relationships are one of our values. And so we do things to help build internal relationships and that's more than just working on projects with each other that's like going bowling or you know whatever those different things are um to encourage relationship building um and so finding that value in a potential hire and understanding how they build relationships um how much they value relationships or don't is really important. So I would look for value, similar values in candidates and worry less about did they all graduate from the same college in the same degree program, right? Which I find companies get really, um, really engaged in a couple specific programs. They build a relationship with a certain professor or they went to a certain college and so they want to hire all the people out of that college because they think that's the best. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a bad thing, except for the fact, and you mentioned this earlier, that you don't get diversity in thought. You get everybody with the same skills and probably the same gaps. Um, I don't think any program is perfect, but if you branch out to different programs, you, you get different thoughts and different backgrounds. And so, but if your values connect, if you focus on the value portion, then that's where you get the difference between a culture fit and a culture happen. All right. I love that. I, 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 I think that's well said um, and a great way to look at it as far as adding things. And, and I love your definition of culture. I mean, it's the way we actually get our work done. I, I think that's really neat. So any, um, as, we, as we close here, is there anything else you'd like to add or share with respect to recruiting and I guess the changing face and the evolution of HR that you think other leaders of uh, firms would, would like to know or need to know? Um, I would just encourage them to be willing to be bold and do do things different. Um, I think leaders are in those roles because, because they're willing to do that on the business side and that can translate into recruiting an HR and what they know and have had success with on business development. Um, 
they should think about how that could influence their recruiting and hiring practices. And I think that would be a huge differentiation for, for any organization. Um, and then, you know, just the same in how they partner with their, their HR team or person or consultant, whoever that is. Um, don't be afraid to like throw them some curveball questions and see how they do. They might have insight to the business that you don't even think relates to HR. Um, and so I would just encourage them to start asking those questions and, and seeing what HR thinks, thinks about it. Right. So give, give them a chance. Give HR a chance to be able to raise their profile and be able to have a seat at the table or a larger seat at the table. And I, and I like what you said about just being different. And it's kind of, I mean, it, and I think it's true today that different is the new better, both in terms of clients and in, time, and in terms of talent. It's not just about getting incrementally better. It's about truly being different. Um, and that's going to attract and, and give us the platform to then see further differentiate ourselves. Yeah, it's a great way to describe it. So how, how can folks get in touch with you to learn more about you know, you, how you design pipelines or more about Aspect Consulting? Um, so our website is aspectconsulting.com. My contact information is on there. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and I'll be at PSMJ's uh, PeopleMax coming up in February with you. And so I think I'm pretty easy to find and get a hold of. Great. Well, I, I want to thank you again for sharing um, your insights into how your day-to-day -day helping to evolve the role of HR to be more, you know, as a leader, part of the strategy, the people strategy to help make the, the business realities come through, um, come true and, and, and be made better. And I appreciate you being, being willing to share. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Orlando. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me today. This was wonderful. Great. Well, thank you again and take care. All right. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to get us established. And I truly appreciate that. It also helps get the word out so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.